Okay, so I titled this one Vitamins, Minerals, and Nutrients. Oh my, um, obviously from the, the Wizard of Oz thing. So uh, let's get started. So the outline of what we're going to discuss today is what's the difference between a vitamin and a supplement? And to be honest, guys, this is a good reminder for me. We, we use so many words interchangeably and we, we say things. I actually learned a few things I'm embarrassed to say. I'll tell you, I'm not afraid to admit it when I get there. Um, so we're going to learn what the difference between a vitamin and a supplement is. What is a vitamin? What is a mineral? And what is a nutrient? How do I test my levels, as Laverne was asking? And then how do I optimize my levels? Okay, y'all feel free to butt in at any point. So first, we're going to find out what is the difference between vitamins and supplements. This is actually something that's a little confusing because we all are guilty of using these words interchangeably. Oh, I took my vitamins or whatever. But when you actually say vitamin, you're specifically referring to a specific type of nutrient that is essential to humans. Um, and a supplement could literally be anything, right? You can take a protein supplement. You can take a hair supplement. There's all So supplement is the over-encompassing word of basically anything that, that you ingest. Um, supplements come in capsules, tablets, liquids, powders, pills, and potions of all sorts, right? Uh, supplements can be vitamins, minerals, nutrient calories, anything basically that you would ingest as far as I think of. I was trying to think of anything else we might call a supplement that's out of that realm, but it's pretty all-encompassing. So with, well, now that we know there's a difference between a vitamin and a supplement, um, what is a vitamin, okay? So a vitamin, uh, I, I actually had to do some research to kind of narrow all this down. And so the technical definition of a vitamin is a molecule. That's the key difference between a vitamin and some of the other things we're going to discuss today. It's a molecule. A molecule being atoms that are put together, right? An atom are the things God created of, of um, sodium and chloride makes salt. Salt is the molecule. Sodium is the atom. Chloride is the atom. Strung together, we create molecules out of these. So vitamins are a molecule, and they are essential to, um, we'll mainly talk, talk about humans, but Vitamins are essential to any organism, anything that grows on this planet, it, it must have certain vitamins. And if you have a vitamin that's called an essential vitamin, it means that that organism can't actually create it. So one of the interesting things is humans uh, and, and many primates, monkeys and apes and stuff, we're one of the few organisms that can't create our own vitamin C, which is why we need it in our, our diet. So vitamin C is one of the essential vitamins. And, um, but interestingly enough, other mammals synthesize their own vitamin C. Dolphins, pigs, dogs, cats, anything that have, that have live babies make their own vitamin C. Humans are one of the only ones that doesn't. I think I have another slide on, on vitamin C. I, I do, we're, we're getting there. So with, with vitamins out there, what is, what is a vitamin complex? So we've all heard of B complex. I give practically everyone a B complex. So what's the difference? And basically there are certain vitamins that have multiple vitamins in that, that, that range of doing kind of similar activity. So as we all know, vitamin B, vitamin B has multiple B vitamins. And one thing I've never researched is why is there a vitamin B12 if there's only eight vitamins in the mm. B family? <laughs> And I believe, and I'd have to do the, the actual research, but I believe that we labeled several vitamins as B vitamins as we were numbering them and then realized, oh, they're not in the B vitamin family, so they had to be taken out. But by that time, B12 was B12 and B9 was B9. So there's eight actual B vitamins. In vitamin E, there's actually four vitamins in the vitamin E category, and they're all called tocopherols. So if you ever take a vitamin E supplement or see like a, a multivitamin, sometimes they'll label which tocopherol it is. But ultimately, I'm a big believer in we need all our vitamins, not any one particular one in super high doses. Vitamin E got really popular. I don't know if you all remember this. I'd say in the early 2000s, yeah, I'm getting ahead and I was like, vitamin E got really popular as like the cure all for everything. Um, and then in the early 2010s, it kind of fell out of favor, showed some issues with prostate cancer or something. I can't remember the, the details, but then it just kind of completely fell off the map. Vitamin E is a needed vitamin, but um, it's certainly not the miracle cure to everything. So what is the vitamins? Uh, they are the vitamin alphabet. And I thought there were more letters of vitamins out there I couldn't come up with any extra vitamin letters. So it's A, B, C, D, E, and K. Um, 
I even went through the alphabet, like vitamin S, no, vitamin R, no. So those are the actual vitamins. But remember, there's eight in vitamin B, there's uh, four in vitamin E, and there might be, there's kind of, vitamin D has a few versions. It only has one live or uh, one active version, but it's got other ones in there. So it's probably more complicated than that. But just think of vitamin alphabet. These are all the molecules that work as essential nutrients for us. So some people may have heard of these vitamins, and they're not actually vitamins. Uh, does anyone know? I guess I spoiled it already. Did anyone know that vitamin D is not actually a vitamin? Hormone. Yeah, it's a hormone. So the way I, I try to explain that is vitamins are from our diet and hormones are generated from nutrients in our diet, right? So vitamin D is not in our diet. I don't like it when they advertise mushrooms or I forget what they advertise is that's high in vitamin D. No food is high enough in vitamin D to matter. Yes, they may have vitamin D. Milk is not high in vitamin D. It's added to milk to make it higher in vitamin D. Yeah. So the reason why vitamin D is technically a hormone, and this goes back to like, well, it was originally that it was a vitamin. It should have been called a hormone. Oops. Um, but vitamin D is manufactured by the human with reaction to sunlight. So it's one of the most unique hormones we have, but it gets created with, with uh, light. Not too different from melatonin, but completely opposite. Melatonin gets made in the absence of light, right? The lack of light, darkness is what stimulates melatonin production. So vitamin D is completely opposite. Sunlight makes it. Vitamin B17, if y'all have ever heard of that, um, it's not really a vitamin. It's a, um, I believe that was called amygdalin. It's found in like apricot seeds or whatever. I forget what seed it is. I think it's apricot, yes. but it's a, is it? Okay. It's basically like an, an, a cyanide type toxin that, that, preferentially loves to kill cancer cells before the human. You take too much and you will harm yourself. But it's well known in the cancer world. It's illegal in the US, so we can't get it. Vitamin H, if you've ever worked in a nursing home, um, you will have heard, uh, Judy, did you work in a nursing home? No, or? I don't know what hell <laughs> So vitamin H is, is um, joked as, as being needed for the nursing home patients that are being uh, aggressive or uncontrollable or so they, they give them vitamin H, which is Haldol. It's just an antipsychotic drug and makes you very sleepy. So it calms them down. Um, so there's a lot of vitamin H being given in nursing homes. Vitamin U, I didn't even know about. We were making, uh, were you here when this happened, Stephen? Mm -hmm. I, I Someone said it. We were in the kitchen. I remember where I was standing when someone said vitamin U. And I was like, that is crap. I have never heard of vitamin U. What is that? So I thought they were pulling my leg. Lo and behold, it is well known as vitamin U. It's not a real vitamin. Come in. It's made from cabbage juice. Hey, we have another joining. Come on in. What's your name? Peter. Hey, Peter. Nice to meet you. Did you I, did, are you the one I emailed this morning? Yes, but I wasn't sure if it was you or someone. Who <laughs> your email, so now I'm not yeah. sure. Thank you. Peter, I'm Dr. Oob. This yes. is Cerise, one of our nutritionists. And this is Stephen, uh, Robert, Laverne, and Judy. You didn't miss too much. Uh, so vitamin U, the, 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 it's a nutrient found in cabbage juice that's apparently unique to cabbage juice. I, I really don't know. Cerise, do people actually drink cabbage juice? Really? Yeah. Really? I have. Is it gross? Mm -hmm. no, it's not terrible. <laughs> it's not good, vitamin though. Huh? Strong. Yeah, so apparently vitamin U, and it stands for a very specific B vitamin, or a methionine-like vitamin. And so methionine is used in our methylation and detox pathways. So supposedly the cabbage juice is, is unique for having that molecule. Red or green, does it make any difference? Stephen? Red or green color? That I don't know. I would always steer more towards the color, more vibrant color. The antioxidants are typically higher. Yeah. Cabbage being a very cruciferous, sulfur-containing uh, vegetable, I would be willing to bet it's in all the colors. And it'd be, which one do you want to taste? <laughs> but that being said, like, I think it should be in sauerkraut and stuff, since it is cabbage. And that's kind of juicy cabbage, right? Yes, it could, but it could have something to do with the fermentation. Yeah. It might destroy a little bit of it. Might. Maybe that's why it tastes better. <laughs> I love sauerkraut. Okay. So those are some of the fake vitamins that are not out there. Vitamin D kind of being a fake vitamin. Um, so what happens with deficiency of certain vitamins? 
the truth is we don't see this nowadays. In America, we do not see vitamin deficiencies. Rarely, rarely, rarely. I don't even think I've seen, I learned about these in med school, but unless you're doing medical work in, in Africa or real starving uh, portions of, of the world, you're not going to see this stuff. Um, so the main reason we know about vitamin deficiencies is because of certain famines and things that have hit uh, certain populations and then like, oh, that weird stuff happened and that's from this missing nutrient in, in humans. So I, I didn't go do a research, a, a history lesson, but the Ireland's potato famine was one of the most classic understandings of vitamin C deficiency. Um, when, I forget the history of it, but something happened to where they ruined all of their potatoes and something happened. Mm, I don't know what it was. Uh, I think it was a fungus. Was it a fungus that spread? And that was like their only nutrient or only calorie, really only food that they were surviving on at the time. And they were already poor. And so when the potatoes ran out, they lost all of their sources of vitamin C. So vitamin C deficiency ran, ran rampant. Um, it's also well known for sailors. When, when the sailors were spending months on boats, they were not eating foods that had enough vitamin C and they were getting scurvy. Uh, I looked, I tried to find a picture of scurvy they were alarming to me and they, like they made my stomach turn. So I just chose Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> picture because they were clean looking pirates. Uh, Disney uh, makes them look a lot better than uh, the real pictures of scurvy. It was disgusting. And then vitamin D deficiency causes rickets disease, which, which makes your bones curve. They're just so soft that your bones curve. So kids, as they grow up with vitamin D deficiency, their, their, their legs will literally bow outwards. Um, hmm. And so that's what's kind of upsetting. I think I get into in another part as far as optimal. Let's see if that's next. This is my first time giving the presentation. So I literally just finished it yesterday. So I'm still remembering all the things I wanted to mention. But to go back to that, one of my, one of our, and, and most people in functional medicine share this, one of our upsets with the conventional medical world is that they, they think whatever vitamin is, is useful to keep you out of deficiency, that's all you need, right? So I, there is a slide on RDA. Does anybody know what RDA stands for? Yeah, the, the daily dose. Right, the dietary allowance. So the, the, the RDA is based on how to prevent rickets. And, and that's disturbing because no one in, in America is going to get rickets. Um, I saw it a little bit in residency, but in a very, very poor population. But that's so unheard of. But there's a difference between not getting deficient and optimal. So I guess we'll get there when we get to that slide. So I, I don't want to make this too medical, but I want you to understand a little bit about why vitamins are important. We have DNA, we have proteins, like why do we need vitamins? And so this diagram is one of the simpler ones I can find on Google. And so the idea is vitamins work as cofactors in the body. So what is a cofactor? If you see that blue thing over here, this is an inactive protein. Uh, I don't actually know how to unwrite on <laughs> so that's there uh, so that protein is something that your body makes out of dna that protein leaves the nucleus or is inside of the cell and it's trying to do something but it can't do something without its cofactor so if you notice that those little orange things the l1 and l2 those are the things that need to be modified and this is an ambiguous reaction so these things need to be modified but if you see the original inactive protein there's nowhere for those things to bind until this cofactor joins that protein. Now it's an active protein with its cofactor. Now it can actually receive L1 and L2 and usually put them together and make L3 or convert or trade or whatever it may be. It's a chemical reaction that uses vitamins as the cofactor. So vitamins basically power numerous, numerous, numerous chemical reactions around the body. And they're usually, they're either used as a cofactor to do something or they're used as a cofactor to, to donate something like, oh, they're going to donate a hydrogen ion or, or get broken down in this process. So vitamins are both needed for survival and burned in many of their chemical reactions. So oh, this slide got messed up uh, as far as formatting. But the, the idea is no different than starting your car. Your car needs cofactors, right? You don't just tell your car, not yet. I mean, Tesla is probably going to say, or you just say start and the darn thing comes on, right? You need cofactors. You need your keys. How many of us have forgotten our keys? Or I guess nowadays you, you just need the fob, right? Just the fob to push or a button. Phone. Yeah, or the slides through the phone. Seriously? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> um, unless you lose your phone and someone takes off yeah, your car, right? That's <laughs> so uh, so you need your keys. You also need gasoline, but you need something to inject the gasoline. You need something to spark the gasoline. You need oxygen to 
to, to power the combustion, you need pistons to churn. So what happens is without any of those components, it's not going to work. So basically, vitamins are the cofactors to chemical reactions, which power your metabolism and our activity. And without vitamins, our metabolism slows down. And everybody generally nowadays know what our metabolism is, right? The faster your metabolism, the more likely you are to stay skinny. Uh, the slower your metabolism, the more likely you are to gain weight. The slower your metabolism, the more depressed you get, the slower your heart beats, the more fatigue you have, blah, 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 right? Metabolism is important. Yeah, I'll stop at any point if y'all have questions. So here's where I guess I get into the, what are normal levels? Um, and so basically what I want y'all to know when you look at a lab test is normal levels based on the lab are just 90% of the population. They're gonna take hundred patients and they're gonna draw their blood. And then they're gonna say, whatever the 90% of these lab ranges are is what we will call normal. But if you imagine, um, we, we call this selection bias. If you drew 100 people, 100 Americans blood on, on say, uh, say a calorie, say sugar, for instance, um, and, and, and you look at those levels and say, oh, 90% is normal. And then you go to somewhere starving in Africa and you draw their blood and say, 100 of those patients, what's the normal sugar level? You're going to get two totally different normal ranges, right? So in functional medicine, we're often giving people new criteria, new goals, saying this is the optimal level. And the idea is we're trying to take the aberrancy out of, we're trying to take the, the fluctuance of the patient population that you sampled. And you can even see it in labs. We do enough labs that we see this where say like estrogen levels in men, estrogen levels in men are supposed to be, in my opinion, between 15 and 25. When we send our lab results to Cleveland, their normal is 35 to 55, nearly double what the normal range is and, and at Quest, even though they're owned by the same people. So what it makes you wonder is, are the people in Cleveland running a lot higher estrogen in their men and that's why their range is so much higher? That's really unusual. I still don't know the answer to that, but that just goes to show that labs have their 90% normal, but we want to know what optimal is for each person, right? So same thing in the vitamin levels. We want to know what optimal is. The normal levels of vitamins is going to be what's considered to prevent deficiency. We're not looking to prevent deficiency. We want to know what optimal is. So there's your RDA, your recommended dietary allowance. This is a thing come up that, that's designed by the federal government or whatever three-letter organization is, is dictating what food we should eat. Um, and it's just enough to prevent deficiency, not enough to be optimal. Um, I like to use vitamin D as an example, and I just looked this up to make sure I had the, the real numbers. The recommended vitamin D amount from our <laughs> government, <laughs> yeah, 0.6 IU per day. Um, and uh, our recommendation is 5,000 IU per day. And um, so just so you know, that's 8,000 times higher than RDA. People, the, the most often time I get this question is when someone looks at a B complex bottle and you flip it over. If you flip it over, the B vitamins are like 6,000 times the RDA. And people are like, oh, I'm going to get toxic on B vitamins. It's no, that's how ridiculously low the RDA is. It's not that we're overdosing you. Um, and for the most part, most vitamins cannot be overdosed. And that's 5,000 is awful. Saying, right? Honestly, that's what we do. Yeah, we put everyone on 5,000 per day. Well, yeah, it could be more than that, though. Correct. So we do levels, yeah. and <laughs> we want everyone's vitamin D level to be over 60. Most people, if you do 5,000, you'll get it. Some people have to take 10,000. I think, Stephen, you have to take even more than that to get optimal, right? 40. <laughs> 40? Yeah. yeah. 20 in the morning and 20 in the evening. Just get me about 60. So everybody's different. Wow. There's genetics yeah. at play. There's absorption issues at play. Who knows? Maybe there's a bug in our intestines that eats it and we don't know about it yet. Right. So that's why it's so important to look at the, the level in the bloodstream. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So a question on the RDA, would you say that when they come up with those recommendations, that's just to sustain life? Prevent deficiency, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sadly. And then the population that you mentioned earlier with the labs, is that worldwide or just? No, it's going to be whoever the lab is. So that's like why Cleveland Heart Lab has their own estrogen level that's different than Quest. So Quest is nationwide. So whenever they establish normals for a test, they're going to create a machine and then say, okay, this machine tests estrogen. Now we're going to get a certain population. And because they're nationwide, they're most likely going to collect lab from the nation and then create a, a standard for their entire lab population. But Cleveland being only in Cleveland, they're just going to analyze the, the blood that they have already, um, which means they're most likely going to pick Cleveland residents. 
that's my assumption for why there's a so you look at a quest report that says this is above or below it's based on that factor yep correct the only time they're allowed to modify so labs are held by by pretty strict standards the only way they're allowed to modify what they call as normal is if they have research proving that something is abnormal if above this level so what, for instance, what infuriates me is if anyone's done a cholesterol panel, which I'm sure we all have, they flag you as high if your LDL is over 100. That is not abnormal at all. What the regulations will tell you is that's an abnormal level. But if you studied our population, that is nowhere near 90% normal, right? So the, the certain things get thrown off because of, uh, say, the, the, I don't say FDA, who's regulating that, or whatever American Heart Association or whatever is saying, LDL above 100 is dangerous. Now the lab gets to flag that as dangerous because supposedly they have research. It's really just pharmaceutical money paying to reduce the level, right? If yep, we're honest, exactly. that's, that's really what's happening. So, um, so that's one way they can change. In addition, um, companies like Cleveland, to use example, they do, and, and some of you guys have done Cleveland panels mm -hmm. before where they have inflammatory markers and they'll say above this number is, is dangerous. Now, if you check inflammatory markers in Americans, I guarantee 90% of them are more inflamed than the normal is on that test. But they're allowed to say, if your number's greater than one, we have proof saying an HSCRP, an inflammatory marker. If your number's greater than one, then we know you're at higher risk for heart disease. So we're going to call that abnormal, not because the 90% of the population. So that's the two ways they come up with lab normals. When I was in med school, they, one of the labs of the hospital had created a new um, blood clotting machine. Or, they didn't create a new one. They, they, they had bought a machine and got a new one. And one of the requirements is they have to draw 100 people's blood in order to make sure it fits in their population. And so who did they <laughs> come after? They came after the med students um, mm -hmm. to donate blood to their machine to make sure it worked optimal. But that's how it works, basically. Okay. So what happens at optimal? Uh, all systems go happen at optimal. So uh, a healthy body is not an overweight body. So weight loss naturally happens. Brain optimizes, heart optimizes, your skin gets youthful. Um, everything, everything works. Everything hums in, in, in um, harmony, right? Now, vitamins are necessary, of course, but there are also things that can block it, like toxins and things can block. So you could have the world's most best vitamins and nutrients, but if you've got too much mold toxins or too many chemicals, it's going to block those reactions from happening. So not it's not just about having the right amount of vitamins it's having the, the right amount of not not too many toxins right i like to make the point of you can only move as fast as your slowest moving part so the the metaphor i like to use there so say we, we just talked about all those vitamins say your vitamin c is awesome your vitamin d is awesome um, but your vitamin a is really low well your system's metabolism can only run as fast as that slowest vitamin um, hmm. No different than if you're in a car and one of your wheels is square, but the other three are Pirelli Ferrari tires, right? You're still only going to move as fast as you can tolerate that square wheel turning, right? Uh, we, we just drove back from Abilene. We had an event in Abilene over the weekend and the, the road, has anyone driven to Abilene from here? <laughs> it's mostly two lane road. And one of the things that just sounds backwards is the slowest car is always in the lead. Right? right? Because yeah. everyone else is stuck behind the slowest car. So you can only move as fast as your slowest moving part. Mm -hmm. uh, luckily, at least the drive, there's multiple turning or there's multiple passing lanes. So it's not too infuriating. But um, what is a fortified food? Gosh, when I first learned about this, this just angered me beyond belief. Robert's already giggling, yeah. so he yeah. knows about this. Um, so fortified foods are foods that do not naturally contain the vitamins and minerals needed for health. So basically it's, it's what nutritionists and stuff, you, you guys call it like an empty calorie or what do y'all call it? Something That's yeah, the term I've heard you guys say I, before. I'm not sure about that, but I don't even refer to them. Sorry. They, <laughs> they're not absorbable. They're, they're completely synthetic. So. Synthetic. Yeah. yeah so the body really can't do anything with them. It takes more cellular energy to access it than it does for the body to just bypass it. Mm -hmm. So that's usually what it'll do. Mm -hmm. So these are foods, and, I, and I, I don't remember the years. I tried to look it up, but it wasn't easy to find out. But because all this stuff is hush-hush, is 
But cereals at one point in America were completely banned and taken off the market because they were nutrient devoid. They had calories without nutrients, without vitamins, without minerals. And so basically you could survive off of these things from a calorie perspective, but without the right vitamins and minerals, your whole system shuts down. We're a combination of, of macronutrients, which is the, the calories. I think of it as a, like, if you're going to turn a pump, you've got to crank the handle or that's what your calories do, crank the, 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 the pump. But the little teeth on the pump are your vitamins and minerals. So if you imagine, if you've got no teeth on this thing, you can turn that pump all day long, but it's not going to go anywhere it's got no grip, right? So cereals were eventually were at one point when they were getting more popular and farming was 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 being subsidized and all that, that these cereals were getting really popular. And like, hello, they taste great, right? Put sugar on them, they taste even better. Mm -hmm. So cereals were, were taking off, but America was realizing that, that with the war and things, people were going through vitamin deficiencies. So they outlawed them. Then after a couple of years, they came up with fortification. So since it's missing vitamins and minerals, they added the vitamins and minerals to it, and now they called it fortified. And they went on a heavy marketing campaign to convince the American public that now fortified foods are healthier than foods that already have vitamins and minerals. People to this day, you can see it. If Yeah, I can zoom in. You see that green checkbox on the Cheerios, on the golden grams? on the what, shreddies, Cheerios. more Cheerios. This is a green check mark. I don't know if that one particularly, but the green check marks are typically by the American Heart Association, AHA. They are paid by Cheerios to give them a green check mark on their box. It's, it's absolute insanity. They're, I don't know if y'all saw, what, what was that thing that came out series by the, 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 the oh, government? The compass. The compass, the, yeah. the food compass. Yeah. And this food compass, I should have put this in here. This food compass gave a list of the healthiest foods for Americans to eat. Um, Cheerios was top three, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, oh, I forget what it was. Top three? It, it was, tomorrow. what's that? Yeah, yeah. Right? right? <laughs> <laughs> Optimize your health. What's that? Maybe if they were organic. Maybe, but not even then, right? The other scary part was that like a, a boiled egg or a fried egg was was dangerous it yeah. was in the dangerous category mm -hmm. not only like not healthy like danger it, it was it's absolute atrocity that a sugar-filled cereal is, is and people to this day still think cheerios is good for your heart health it's just infuriating so what else do we want to say nutrients added to the food to prevent deficiencies cereals were banned later introduced as healthier than real food scary now this is actually the guardian so <laughs> it's actually europe but it was a good picture of a little old lady grabbing her Rice Krispies. Yeah. <laughs> different requirements of a band over there versus yeah. here. Yeah. Still not good, but I think they do 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 a better job. I pulled it up. It's Honey Nut it? Cheerios is above. The, the three dangerous are yeah. going to be a whole egg fried in butter. Oh, no. Cheese, and ground beef are like the most dangerous things you could eat. Obviously. Right? <laughs> Isn't that infuriating? Orange yeah. juice with calcium is actually above Honey Nut Cheerios. <laughs> So you frosted mini wheats above all of those. Wow. I do love some frosted mini wheats back in the day. Oh man. And and unfortunately, these guidelines are literally I the way I think of it as affecting me because I'm gonna buy what I want at the grocery store. I don't care about that. But I think of my kids who go to school and have this cafeteria lunch and I tried to buy them or I tried to, to bring them lunch, but that's not a cool thing to do, right? So they don't want to eat my healthy food when they've got cereals and junk food as considered healthy. Mm -hmm. It, so if you imagine what our population is growing up on, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, we can tell. Yeah, it's showing. What vitamins should I take? Um, I like to say the first vitamin you should take is just nutrient-dense foods. Organic vegetables, organic nuts and seeds, clean source meats, pasture-raised eggs. That's the vitamins we should all be taking. And then after that, it's, it's based on individual needs or based on lab testing or your genetics or some sort of reason that you might want to take a vitamin forever. Um, I'm a big believer that everyone, our even though you eat organic vegetables or eat organic nuts and seeds, um, our soil is so toxic from all the non-organic farming that's happened over time and the nutrient depletion of the soil over time that I'm a big believer in taking a B complex every day. I take one every day. Um, it, B vitamins are just water soluble and they're, they're kind of kamikaze vitamins. They get burned in their utility and they're hard for your body to hold on to because they're water soluble. So you need a constant stream of it. 
Vitamin D, on the other hand, it's fat soluble. It lasts a lot longer. So for instance, most people, Stephen, can take vitamin D once a week and have enough vitamin D for the whole week. Hmm. Um, we even do shots of vitamin D and there's research showing that if you do shots of vitamin D, you're good for six months up to really? a year. Really? Yeah, yeah. It hurts. <laughs> we stopped doing it because it's painful. Like it? like I shot like this. I was like, oh no, oh, yeah, no, that's next. Nice. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, an actual shot. Like the other one. So they would do that in, in Africa and countries that were really deficient in the medical care would be gone for, for months at a time. They do vitamin D shots to prevent rickets and mm. stuff. And then Phytomulti is just a fancy multivitamin for metagenics. It's a multivitamin that's just high quality, but they also put plant-based antioxidants and it's a dark green pill because of the, the plants they put in it. So that's a, another favorite vitamin of mine. I actually liked this picture a lot um, because it did have a lot of diversity, but I love the meat. Like they actually put pork in there right you rarely see pork in the vit and and healthy yeah. um pictures that is pork right up, up i top, would think right? so it looks like it yeah white meat yellow yeah white meat. so i like and a big old steak like, yes diversity the cheese i mean i love some cheese but it does not love me what is a mineral okay so that was all about vitamins that was the biggest section. Minerals is going to be a little shorter. So we a lot of times want to lump these in together, but minerals is a completely different thing. And as I told you guys earlier, a vitamin is a string of atoms that make up a molecule. And that's what a vitamin is. A mineral is just one, one atom, one molecule, or one, one atom, not even a molecule. Um, now, many of these atoms don't exist by themselves. They exist in molecules um, like sodium. Sodium doesn't exist by itself because it's a sodium chloride. Most things exist as a salt. So iron exists as a ferrous oxide and whatnot. But that's not, we're not worried about the oxide part. We're worried about the ferrous part. So when we refer to minerals, we're mostly referring to metals. So I listed some of the metals there. Iron, zinc, magnesium, calcium, selenium, manganese, molybdenum. And I also threw sodium on there because sodium gets such a bad rap. You guys seem like you're much more in tune with your functional medicine stuff. Um, and sodium is not bad. Sodium has been demonized in America. It is one of our most prevalent metals in our entire body. I think it is the most prevalent metal in our entire body. So we've gone on such a, a campaign against sodium that people actually get depleted in sodium. One of my patients, he's been such low sodium for so long because of his blood pressure and his doctors in New York that he can't actually even tolerate the taste of salt. But he keeps going when, years ago when I picked him up as a patient, his sodium levels would go so low, we get hospitalized. So we actually have him on salt pills because he cannot salt his food. So he has to take six salt pills a day just to maintain his salt because he's so low sodium. It's not, it's not good. I mean, it works for him, but. Uh, so what does a mineral do? Minerals form a complex with your body's proteins to accomplish a function. Not too different from vitamins when we were talking about that cofactor, but minerals have a much more um, like hand-to-hand -hand role, handshake role in the, the functions they do. Um, minerals are never broken down. Vitamins can be broken down. B12 can be burned and then broken down and you, now you need another B12 molecule. Minerals are literally an atom. And if you break it down, that's called alchemy, right? Changing iron into gold is called alchemy. That's magical, never been done before. So our human bodies can't change minerals. Minerals are something we can accumulate and hold on to and utilize forever and ever, basically. But we're always urinating, so we're always losing a little bit. We're always pooping, so we're always losing a little bit, right? Blood, uh, urine, stool, and sweat are, are ways to lose minerals. So why are minerals important? Um, without minerals, literally proteins cannot function. So I like to use hemoglobin because most people know what hemoglobin is. Hemoglobin is the protein inside of your blood cells, the thing that actually carries oxygen. So without iron, hemoglobin cannot, you can't even produce hemoglobin without iron, um, but hemoglobin can't actually do its job. The hemoglobin protein that your human body makes has one function, it's not to carry oxygen. Hemoglobin's one function is to carry that crazy molecule you see off to the side. That protein is literally structured to hold this molecule in place. That molecule's sole function is to trap iron. So your body does not have the ability to carry oxygen. Your body makes hemoglobin. Hemoglobin traps iron, traps that molecule, which traps iron. Iron actually binds to oxygen and carries the oxygen all around your body. 
So that's one of the ways why iron deficiency causes such issues because without iron, you can't make enough hemoglobin that actually does anything. And without hemoglobin, you die, right? And the other thing is in minerals, you'll find that minerals can be um, displaced by what? What can displace minerals that basically look the same but are bad for us? Nothing? Steven, nothing? Maybe I didn't ask the question clearly. What could displace iron that looks a lot like iron, but the body doesn't know any different and kill you? Therese, do you know? It's another mineral, but it's a toxic one. Lead. Oh. Ah, see, it makes sense, right? So mm -hmm. how does lead, mercury, arsenic kill us? People always ask me when their when their metals results come back when we do their chelation challenge and we show them their metals and they say, well, how is that going to affect me? And the answer is we don't really know, but you can we can make certain associations that certain metals look like other metals. So lead looks very similar to iron. So the way lead, you can see in, in med school, we were taught it's called a basophysics, basophilic stippling of the red blood cells. If someone has enough lead, you can literally see it in their red blood cells under the microscope because the lead damages the hemoglobin. The lead displaces the iron. Lead cannot carry oxygen. Only iron can. So it's one of the ways that you die of lead poisoning if you have too much. Let, what most people know about iron is that it carries oxygen, but that's actually, I like to say, it's like it's 10% role. I don't actually know what the percentage is, but the, the majority role of iron is actually inside every one of your cells, inside of your body. Um, if you've ever heard of the term mitochondria, that's what generates the energy inside of your cell. And tissues that are high in mitochondria have a lot of mitochondria, like your liver. Your liver has a ton of mitochondria. It's your detox organ. It has to create a lot of energy. Not only is it the detox organ, but it's literally the organ that packages your energy for the rest of the body. We eat food, but your liver is the thing that takes that food and packages it into new molecules that goes around the body. So the liver has a very hard job. It has a lot of mitochondria. What color is the liver? Brown. Reddish brown. And it's because of iron what's the soil look like when the soil has a lot of iron in it wow. red reddish yeah, brown yeah. right so iron is reddish and brownish mitochondria harvest iron and hold on to iron because they need it to to, to use what's that uh, where my mom grew up stripping dynamite yeah dirt yeah I always think of it when I was a kid, my dad would take us to this forest in Louisiana called the Kasachi Forest. And I grew up in South Louisiana and, you know, kids were impatient. We hate rough <laughs> This is before the days of Nintendos and iPads and all that. So we'd just be staring out the, the window and we knew we were getting close when the dirt turned red. <laughs> so we were always excited. So still to this day, like we were driving to Abilene, there's some red dirt and inside the little kid inside of me gets excited anytime I see red dirt because it means we're almost to the campsite, right? So iron, I'm getting way distracted. So iron is necessary. It's a mineral, but metals, heavy metals can displace our own metals. It also likes to displace calcium. Lead likes to displace calcium. So people with osteoporosis may not have a calcium issue. They frequently have a lead issue. So bones without calcium break. We don't think of calcium as a mineral. No, we don't think of it as a metal, but it's absolutely a metal. Our bones are hard, right? Uh, immune cells without zinc cause immune deficiency. There's a fun protein called zinc zippers um, in, in immune cells, and they rely on zinc. Without that zinc, they can't actually do their zipping. If they can't do their zipping, then they can't do their function. So an immune cell without zinc is practically useless. And then detox reactions without molybdenum slows down detox. I just like saying molybdenum. It's just <laughs> such a fun word, right? Um, so people that struggle with, with anybody that takes glutathione, you should feel good. You should get detox. You should get energy. If you feel worse with glutathione or N-acetylcysteine, it's just because you have a molybdenum deficiency and you're actually slowing down a certain portion of your detox reactions and accumulating there. Um, I know we normally don't supplement with molybdenum. It's normally in multivitamins. So that's a tough one. So how do we get mineral deficiencies? Of course, poor nutrient density. You look at the McDonald's stuff and you're just like, well, if you look at the color, now that's actually got a little more color for a hamburger than usual with the green lettuce. There's usually not that much lettuce on it, but they're all brown and white, right? Just not nutrient dense food. There's yellow's question about the cabbage earlier. The more colorful something is, the more nutrients it's got, generally speaking. Poor absorption. Um, th this poor girl on the left has some pretty incredible bloating. 
Uh, I've looked at a lot of pictures of bloating and this picture I actually really like because what's interesting about bloating is bloating is not fat. It's not, it's not the stuff I can squeeze on me. It's not outside of our muscles. It's bloating and gas on the inside. And so if you notice, she's got good enough abdominal muscles that you can literally still see the abdominal muscles, even when she's bloated on the mm -hmm. right. And that's proof that it's gas and expansion on the inside. This poor girl needs some gut restoration. She got way too much bloating. Uh, for such a healthy person, right? And then, of course, one way to get mineral deficiencies is just excessive loss. So bleeding, especially women, if they have uh, uterus issues, they end up bleeding heavily, they'll lose their iron. Urinating, you lose, you lose magnesium. Sweating, you lose sodium, which is why marathon runners, if they're not replacing sodium, they can die of hyponatremia, lack of sodium. And then too much diarrhea causes potassium issues. Now, technically, you can lose all minerals from any of those, but that's the, the prominent ones that get lost. Okay. So what is a nutrient? And uh, this is where I'm embarrassed to say when I created the title of this, that technically all vitamins and minerals are nutrients. <laughs> Think of it that way. A nutrient is literally everything, calories, vitamins, minerals, everything. So I had to kind of uh, put some correction slides in here. Uh, so what is a nutrient? A nutrient is anything used in our human bodies or organisms for daily processes or even to stimulate processes. It may not be used, it's used to stimulate a process. So I had, that's where I've had to put in the correction. Like, by the way, I'm acting like I already know this, but I didn't. Nutrients include vitamins and minerals as well as calories, okay? So that's the big difference between calories and vitamins and minerals. Micronutrients are the little compounds like vitamins and minerals. Macronutrients are the actual calories. That goes back to turning the pump, right? The macro calories, the thing actually turning the pump, the vitamins and minerals and micronutrients are the, the little uh, notches on the, on the wheel. So micronutrients, uh, you want to focus on the additional nutrients that come from plants but are not essential for growth. Um, for example, fiber is a nutrient, but not necessarily essential to health, right? The carnivore diet is really popular right now. We're not a big fan of it. We believe fiber to be essential to optimal health, but you can technically live without much fiber. There's some fiber in meat. Um, and then bromelain. Bromelain is a nutrient for digestion, but not essential to health. And then um, as this slide, who knows where bromelain comes from? Must be pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> but which part of the pineapple? It's like all of it. The, no, the, the, inner, core the, the inner core. The stem, yeah. So what the 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 story goes, what I've heard in a podcast at some point was Dole. Uh, Dole was obviously the, the pineapple people, right? The banana people. Dole was making a ton of pineapples and selling the pineapples, but they had all this extra stuff that they they were throwing away every day. So he literally paid a researcher to say. There's got to be something useful in these things we're throwing away. So harvest it, find it, figure it out. And then that way we can sell the other part. And so they, that's how they literally discovered bromelain, which is useful for digesting proteins and, and, and things in our intestines. They found it in the stems. And so they were selling the fruit as fruit, but then harvesting the stems for bromelain and then selling it as supplements and whatnot. So Interesting. That's a, that's a good story. Yeah. 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 Fascinating little learning. So is it also coming from the juice? Because I think there is some, but I don't think there's nearly as much as in the stem. Yeah. And they didn't want to waste the fruit because people would eat that whole, but no one would eat the stem, right? And actually, another confession, when I heard that story, I thought they were talking about this part. Because that's when you see a pineapple, that's all you see, right? You see the fruit and the stem. I, I, but that's not the stem. The stem is the thing it grows on, which makes sense once you see it. Oh, duh. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's from the stem of the plant. I can't ever say I've seen a pineapple in the wild. <laughs> right? Have y'all? Yeah, in Hawaii. Yeah. Have you? Yeah, I just see huge fields of them. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I've never seen one. I'm always surprised when my kids, when I had a garden in my yard, and they're like, that's what a tomato looks like in the wild. Like, yeah, it actually grows in a plant. It's not in a plastic packet. How far removed we've been from our food. Right. So what are phytonutrients? Sounds like a, a complex word, but phyto just means plant. So phytonutrients are plant-based chemicals, and they can be both good and bad. So DIM or I3C is probably one of the most common phytonutrients we talk about and use. People even know what DIM is. It's a supplement, um, but it's found in cruciferous vegetables. It's a nutrient that speeds up detox and does many other things. Lycopene is a nutrient from tomatoes. It's mainly found in red items. So 
That's why you see there in the bottom left, lycopene. You even have carrots on there, which I don't think of carrots as having lycopene. And uh, since we're in confession time, I misspelled lycopene until I downloaded the picture. <laughs> I put an I instead of a Y. Then I put the picture and oh, I'm gonna look stupid if I misspelled that. Uh, so lycopene, red, mostly from tomatoes. Uh, psilocybin, who knows what psilocybin is? Okay. <laughs> so psilocybin is a phytonutrient, it's from a plant, um, but it's a psychedelic. And then mistletoe is also from a plant, but, and that's in the top, top section. Uh, mistletoe makes white berries and uh, the mistletoe plant is actually poisonous to humans, but we use it to fight cancer, kind of like the amygdala. We use it in, in certain doses to make it toxic for the cancer. It's very stimulating the immune system, very provoking the immune system. So it works well for cancer and helps with chemo and all kinds of stuff, but you uh, don't want too much of it. So interestingly enough, why do plants make nutrients? So plants make more nutrients in response to their environmental stressors. And this goes back to kind of one of the comments we made earlier about how our plants don't have as much nutrients, minerals, and vitamins in them because our soils are depleted, but also because there's not enough environmental stressors. That's one of the reasons why it's so hard to grow plants in space. There's no bugs and there's no gravity and it's hard to grow plants in space because they need those environmental stressors um, the wind just blowing blades of grass helps the grass grow. It sounds completely bizarre, but no stimuli at all. There's no wind in space. So these, these plants just can't grow. They, they, even if you have the essential nutrients, they need all of the things. We're no different, right? If COVID taught us anything, it's that um, isolation is terrible for humans. It causes all kinds of dysfunction. Well, we need wind blowing in our face too, right? So plants make more nutrients in response to their stressors. So a bug biting a plant literally stimulates it to make a natural pest deterrent, a natural pesticide. And that pesticide might turn out to be beneficial to humans. And that plant, if it grows without pest biting it because it had a chemical pesticide, um, do not release as much of the nutrient. And so then if the bug's not biting it, then you don't have that nutrient. And so you might be buying kale, but kale without the right nutrients is not necessarily as, as, as useful to always buy organic. Now, what's scary as I was looking up stuff and I was Googling and I'm always trying to find cool pictures, that's obviously a bug. Looks like spinach leaf of some sort, some sort of leaf. The bug's eating a leaf. And we think of that as bad, but it's not, it's, it's stimulating the plant. And anybody that has ever done organic farming knows that you have to sacrifice some of your yield to the bugs, right? The bugs and stuff are necessary part. Some of the fruit is gonna rotten and that's okay. Some of the plants are gonna eat and that's okay. Um, you can do natural things to limit it, but you need that environmental stress to happen. Uh, but as I was looking it up, I, I saw this article that was trying to defame organic growing. And they were saying, they were, their quote was that 99% of pesticides eaten by, America, or by humans are plant-based pesticides made by the plant itself. So they're trying to say, they didn't try to say, they said it. So organic farming is useless because the pesticides used is a minority of the pesticides. Well, the pesticide that a plant makes actually stimulates our detox processes, right? Spinach literally helps us detox. Roundup? <laughs> that's a, well, I guess that's a herbicide, right? Not a pesticide, but I don't know the common pesticide, but that's not going to help us detox. It's not worse than our detox. So it's scary that that stuff exists out there in the world that they're actually promoting. Uh, why are nutrients important? So they act as messages in a bottle to our system. This is different than vitamins and minerals. Minerals have a handshake, right? Iron touches oxygen. It's literally used to carry oxygen. Vitamins are used in a process to, to change that process. Nutrients, on the other hand, stimulate a process. So uh, your, your kale may stimulate your detox processes, which use B12 in your minerals, right? So eating inflammatory foods tells our immune system to ramp up create more inflammation, whereas eating anti-inflammatory foods tells our immune system to calm down. They're messages to our system, and so hence the, the messages in a bottle. Uh, what are nutrient-dense foods? This was uh, something I kind of learned. Technically, McDonald's is a nutrient-dense food. We say eat nutrient-dense foods all the time. Technically, McDonald's, I guess it's Burger King, is nutrient-dense foods because calories are considered nutrients, so a high calorie food could be nutrient dense, but what we're actually referring to is high phytonutrients, plant-based nutrients are what we want. 
And um, I love these healthy photos that you can just Google all the time, but frequently it's only just vegetables. And I always like to see some, some meat and animal products in there. So I'm glad they at least put a hard boiled egg in there because that looks delicious and all, but I'd still be hungry if it didn't have enough nutrients in it, right? So summary thus far, vitamins are molecules, minerals are metals, and nutrients is everything else. I've got all kinds of slide issues with everything else. So how do I test my levels? Um, unfortunately, there's not great mark. Whoops, too fast. Uh, how do I test my vitamin and mineral levels? Um, so there's blood tests, and I want, just want to differentiate. We don't just spend too much time on it. But there's a difference between serum markers and RBC markers. So the idea there is when you draw blood, you're harvesting both the blood cells and the, the plasma floating alongside of it. I care more about what's in the serum because the RBC markers typically don't show deficiency as fast as your serum does. And the RBC markers cost more. So I always like serum markers. These are some examples of CoQ10, folate, B12, vitamin D, and omega check is the fish oil level. Those are all in the serum, not RBC levels. And then you can do more advanced labs like the Nutrivalent Oat. Those are tactically not direct vitamin markers. They're actually looking at indirect markers saying like methylmalonic acid is a precursor to B12. If methylmalonic acid is high, it's your body telling you that it wants more B12. No matter what the level is in the bloodstream, it's saying, I want more. So the Nutrivalent Oat test look at the precursor vitamins that are really more information telling because you could have, we've seen it before where your B12 level is normal, but your methylmalonic acid is high. So you need even more B12 or something's preventing that reaction from happening. So maybe you don't need more B12, you need less of the invader, less of the invasion uh, of metals or something. And then spectrocell is probably one of the more common, um, well-known tests for vitamins and, and minerals. What they do is they, they, it's a unique test where they, they, you draw your blood, but they actually separate out the white blood cells. And um, after they separate out the white blood cells, they grow them on plates that are deficient in certain minerals and vitamins. And then they stimulate them to grow. And based on how long they can live without that mineral or nutrient tells you how deficient your, vitamin, your, your cells are because it couldn't last very long without magnesium. So it must need a lot more magnesium. So it's a little weird of a test, but it's useful and you can treat patients and you'll see it improve. So it sounds a little freaky, but it works well. And um, how do I test my nutrient levels? So the truth is you can't test nutrient levels as far as micronutrients, not yet. This is where we get into the, uh, we're, we really have a long ways to go in our testing of vitamins and minerals. There was a test, I went, I went to a conference in Vegas and um, there's this machine out there where you, you put your finger on it. It uses some sort of light to analyze the carotenoids, which are uh, vitamin A metabolite. That sounded wrong. Carotenoids, vitamin A? Okay, but so it tests for the carotenoids, vitamin A metabolites in your skin, how the hell they pulled it off. I don't know how they did this, um, but I did my test and the lady said I had a good score and I must be taking vitamins and stuff, and sure enough. And so we did, I watched them test someone else and wasn't taking vitamins and their level was really low. So that was really neat. That was probably one of the first tests I've actually seen that could kind of tell your, your vitamin level, your nutrient level inside of your tissue. But of course they wanted like $30,000 for the machine and then a hundred dollars every time to run the machine. And I was like, no guys, you don't, you don't need to, I mean, you don't, anyway, I'm going to vent. Okay. So the truth is you can't test nutrient levels, but you can test how your system is reacting to the presence or a lack of nutrients. So for example, if you have a lot of inflammation, your HSCRP is up, your ADMA is up or whatnot, your homocysteine is up, it could say you have lots of inflammation, so you need more nutrients. It could say you have poor detox or your metabolic markers are high. Um, so if your insulin is high, it could say you have insulin resistance, need more nutrient density, less carbs, those kinds of things. So some of these other markers are kind of indirect measurements of nutrients, but there's no good, am I eating enough spinach test yet? How do I optimize my levels? We've kind of talked about this all along the way, but just to remind you guys, eating nutrient-dense foods, but let's not forget that you can eat the best diet in the world, but if you don't absorb that nutrient, that diet, then it's not the best diet. Or don't forget, bacteria and fungi live inside of our intestines. They technically get first dibs to our food. So if they're overgrowing, they eat your food first, and now you're eating the table scraps. You're getting what they don't want. You're getting the byproducts. So that's where it gets into replace the missing digestive components to make sure you're breaking down your food appropriately and not letting the bacteria and fungi grab it. Because if you don't digest your food, something else will. 
and that something else is not what your human body wants. It wants to digest the food appropriately. Then you got to restore the intestinal lining, um, and that includes getting rid of the overgrowth stuff. You also have to prevent the waste. We can't forget that the kidneys are an organ that's trying to filter the blood. But if your gut is leaky, then your kidneys are leaky, your skin is leaky, everything's leaky. So you'll you'll literally lose your nutrients inside your kidneys. Adrenal stress or just chronic stress in general cause the kidneys to inappropriately dump minerals and nutrients. It doesn't want to, it's just inappropriate. It's, it's too much stress. And then of course, decrease the demand on your vitamins and minerals by reducing what I call the retox. So Drinking alcohol every day is retoxifying yourself, right? Eating non-organic foods is retoxifying. Drinking non-filtered water, retoxifying. So always remove the retox before you ever focus on the detox. And then last but not least, you can buy your levels by taking supplements, vitamin infusions and whatnot. But we always want to emphasize that we want you to eat the food and use the vitamins to replace to build your levels, but ideally not relying on supplements and vitamin infusions to maintain the optimal. And that's the end. What questions you got? You did pretty good. One minute over. That's not bad. Um, what questions do you guys have? And of course, the Dorothy reference back to our oh my. Silence usually so, means that we got all our questions in. Pretty much. Yeah. Good, good. So if you're not absorbing your nutrition, then that probably is because you've got critters in your gut that's getting it first. <laughs> it could be the, the three main ways are basically one, you didn't digest the food, two, something else ate your food, um, or three, you never ate the food. Right? Well, well so, I'm I'm losing weight, for instance, but I'm eating a lot. So much so that I don't feel well after eating too much. Mm -hmm. But I still don't gain And that can be the combination. It's most commonly, Laverne, I mean, myself included, we're all guilty of growing up in America, which is overloaded with antibiotics, overloaded with toxic foods, and full of Pop-Tarts and Cheerios. And we've been lied to for the past 40, 50 years. So the, the truth is that everyone that comes into our practice has gut issues, whether they've been eating clean for the past 10 years or 20 years or whatever, everyone I, I, maybe I'm maybe not everyone, but pretty much everyone I knew grew up and had pop tarts and, and cereal at some point in their life. And once that gut function gets wrecked, you can restore it, and it won't take decades to restore it. It took decades to to ruin it. But once you get rid of those critters and replace your digestive components, that nutrient um, absorption should go back up. But it takes time, and it takes you know the the, the digestive components are helping your body break it down. So yeah that should get better. Once your clients achieve that, how easy is it to get back to the same issue again? It's, it, that's like the retox, right? Right, right, right. So really most, what most people, and, and I'm guilty of it too, we're so out of tune with our bodies as far as how we feel after we eat food. And so the way we got in our current situation, and I mean, cause I got quote unquote sick by my early thirties. But I didn't even really know I was sick. But nowadays, like when I, we traveled to Abilene and we brought as much food as we could, but we still had to eat Abilene food. And if you've been to Abilene, right, Julia? Yeah. <laughs> Options are not the greatest. I feel worse when I get back. And so, but I know that immediately from just a two or three day trip, I'll notice my system isn't well. And then I really hunkered down. Like the past two days have been really clean. We made cabbage soup for dinner last night, like really clean, right? So now I'm so much more in tune with my body that yes, you can get back to where you were, but it's so obvious as you're headed back to where you were that you're just a fool if you ignore the signs. Plus, now you know the keys to get back, right? You, you, when you got sick, you didn't really know what you were doing wrong, and, or maybe you did and you chose it. But once you get healthy and you feel vibrant, you feel optimal again, it's addicting. It's addicting to feel good. And so as soon as you start losing that feel good, it's motivation to get back on the wagon because gluten will always taste good, right? Birthday cake will always taste good. And we're, we're going to give in. That's just one of those things. Steven's going to bring some sugar-filled, or I shouldn't even say sugar-filled. He does really good jobs with his banana nut breads and stuff. And I can pick out and I can eat the whole thing. And while it's the healthiest version of it, it's still not cabbage soup, right? And so as you tick downwards, you'll realize what you need to do to get back on and stop binging on Steven's banana nut bread. Um, but yeah, so most people, once they restore their wellness, it's easier to maintain than you think, because as soon as you go, it's it, like once you're optimal and you identify those early signs, it's so easy to get back to optimal. Mm -hmm.
And the uh, it's so many things that could that come together to make us sick. It's not just, oh, I ate the birthday cake. It's the non-organic foods. It's the frequent use of antibiotics because our doctor said so. It's the stress, it's the lack of sleep. All those things compound each other. So sure, you ate the birthday cake, but you're still eating non-organic, or you're still eating organic foods. You're not taking antibiotics, you're sleeping well. So that birthday cake is all of a sudden less damaging than it were with all those other things. My daughter just had her birthday and nothing but cake makes a gluten-free cake. It's not dairy-free, but gluten-free cake. Oh my God, it's incredible. Don't eat too much of that. <laughs> yeah. She's 10 now. Yeah, acting like a 13-year-old, but that's okay. <laughs> Any other questions? Good, good. Well, I certainly appreciate you guys joining us. Did we miss any? No, but nobody on the line. If they did, oh, <laughs> they missed it. Yeah, yeah. Do you At you least just develop new content and then put together a video because you'll take these live, I guess. So I'm these the community events are still pretty new to us. So what I'm trying to do is is do the presentation and record it. Um, last time I recorded it but forgot to include the iPad. <laughs> so this time I managed to get it right, but we'll see. You won't, I won't know until after it's over. And like maybe I never hit the record button or something. Cool. It's supposed, no, no, it does say recording right there. Mm -hmm. So I think we are recording. So yeah, the goal is to get these uh, published, but I've kind of debated it. I want to hear y'all's feedback. I've debated it because part of the goal, and this is to connect with you guys, to see you guys, to interact with you guys. Y'all meet each other. Like, for example, Stephen has wonderful, amazing recipes. And if we keep them in a hole in the waiting room, no one's ever going to find these things out. So I want to get more people together and connect. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I do want to publish it. What I think I'm going to do is publish it so you guys can share it with anyone that you think might benefit from it, but then like end it. So it doesn't last forever. Then we are forced to come back. <laughs> right so that not everything's online because i'm one of my goals we we call these community events because one of my goals is to outreach to to patients that are not our patient at all like there's so much valuable information that we will freely give and we want people to know and you don't have to pay us to get this information it's free and available so let's get people together let's spread the word of functional medicine because so many people need this knowledge and you don't have to buy all these expensive supplements and things. Most people, if you just change your nutrition, if you take a few supplements on your own, you can feel so much better. So that's where I go back and forth. What do y'all think? Should it be just recorded and online forever? Or should it be recorded, put it online for a month or so and end it so that there's a reason for people to come back? And I say and forever gather? because it's informative, it's educational. Yeah, okay. it's nice to come back and review. Okay. Maybe not put it on for a while and put it on a year later. So okay. when we finally forget what the um, what your talk was about, and you okay. can reach a larger audience, so especially with your community and sharing. Yeah, probably so. All right. I like the handouts. I like to print them out and then read mm -hmm. them and study them. Mm -hmm. And I'll send you all the slides. That's easy to do. 